Time is 21.30. After the break, we have two more conversations. Poetry is a form of therapy. Best believed, Kabiso Vili is here to perform and give us a sense of the spoken word. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Nothing conventional on the viewpoint. Tlabiso Vili, please Tlabiso correct me. Poet Tlabiso Vili has recently been crowned champion of the 2022 World Slam Poetry Competition, beating slam poets from 40 nations across the globe. His win comes shortly after he was announced as the new generation's featured poet at the 26th festival, the Poetry Africa Festival presented by the Centre for Creative Arts at UKZN in October. Now, in 2021, Vili won the Poetry Africa Slam competition, which saw him represent the continent showcase in Brussels, Belgium, where he impressed the international jury with his poetry. Now, there's plenty to be said about this, but for now, let's welcome to the platform the award-winning performer, writer, new media artist, producer, digital strategist, and social activist, Abiso. Abiso, is it Vili or Vili? It's really like really. Uh, like a wheel, really, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Keep rolling, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, let's talk about your exploits on the continent and the globe all over. Tell us what all these fancy titles you have mean and what <laughs> the World Slam Poetry Competition experience was like this year, last year, and all the awards you have won. Go for it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm actually, uh, yes, as you say, I'm I'm the best poetry slam champion in the world at the moment uh i think we need to know that uh, the slam or the slam poetry competition is is uh is a way of spoken word artists uh to compete against each other based on certain criteria uh to discover uh who can do the best poem and the best uh, poetry performance and so for me, I've been, you know, doing this since I was 12 years old. That's when I wrote my first poem. That was 19 years ago. And uh, 10 years ago, I remember writing that on my goals list that I want to be one of the best poets in the world. And so I've really been working towards this goal for years now. And last year, through Poetry Africa, I was then able to compete against other South African poets uh, where then I was crowned the best South African poet, and then a year later, uh, the best poets from all of these different nations that you speak of met at this international stage in Brussels uh, to then compete against each other, and then I was crowned as the uh, best uh, poet in the world. And so, yeah, that's why I am here now talking to you, I guess. Well, of course, it goes without saying that if we have a poet on the platform, there's no way we can have a poet without engaging his or her art, poetry, mm-hmm. a rendition of your poems, just like every time we have a musician, yeah, we play their song and they probably will even sing live. But tell us, I suppose, for those who are in the creative writing space, because I would imagine your work dovetails with that of theirs, creative writing, public speaking, the value of public speaking in particular for an individual's confidence. A lot of the work that you do, ultimately, you have to stand up in front of a live audience and Mm. offer a piece, a piece that you own and a lot of time you would not be referring to from a sheet because it will, as a lot of poets want to do, 
just comes from their mind. Tell us about the strength and the psychology associated with your art. Um, definitely. So first of all, I was always an awkward, shy child, you know, who spent most of his time in the library because he couldn't really communicate with his peers and didn't understand how to do that. Actually, I've got uh, very mild autism. So I already struggle with social interactions and interacting with human beings. But when I wrote my first poem, it was many years ago, and my English teacher asked me to perform it in front of my classmates. Um, that's like after I performed it, when I got like my first standing ovation and my peers were clapping, that was the first time in which I realized that I could actually relate to other people around me uh, through relating with uh, emotions and issues I was going through internally. And so that's really what, what poetry has been for me over these years, has been a way for me to make sense of my own internal world and how it relates to the external world and to society. And then through performance, people are able then to see a mirror through me. And so this has really been a transformative healing process for me. And I remember somebody asking me uh, earlier on when I came back with the championship, they asked me, so, Fabi, so what did you do to prepare uh, for this World Poetry Championship stage? And I told them, well, in those 12 months, the first three months I spent, you know, really refining the poetry, refining the performance of the poetry. Um, but the, the uh, eight or nine months afterward was really with me, uh, spent with me going to therapy and dealing with my own demons and learning how to create capacity and space within me to be able to hold the truth of the poem that I wanted to perform. And so for me, that is really the transformative healing power of this work, is that as much as we write and we perform and we share with each other, what it's really doing is transforming ourselves and our reality and the world around us towards the better good, I think. You know, as you were speaking, it took me back to 1996. This is just something anecdotal, just to corroborate everything that you've said. 1996, before then, 95 and dating backwards, I would never volunteered myself to stand in front of an audience to speak. Absolutely hated it. If there was a class oral, be it in English, obviously worse in Afrikaans, Mondelung, <laughs> I would not eat for that day. I would be socially awkward until I spoke, and it would still take me like another hour or two after that just to remove the fact that I was standing in front of an audience. In mm. other words, my confidence levels simply did not allow me to stand in front of people and speak. By contrast, many who were my contemporaries were disappointed if they never had an opportunity to stand up in front of class and offer their news from the past mm. weekend. It took mm. for my late brother now to just assist me um, to cut a long story short, it was 96, offered an oral, Mr. Dell, my then class teacher, thoroughly loved it, mm. as did the class, and that's when the tide turned. Mm. I was 12 exactly. years old, incidentally, when that happened, just like you were. <laughs> how now, through your art, I mean, I might have views of my own, how do we ensure we catch them earlier than 12? Because if mm. you can imagine they are shy to speak in front of people they are in class with, they are familiar with, how much more in other spaces where perhaps the environment is less familiar? How do exactly. we catch these 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds, yeah. 
in those yeah. familiar as well as unfamiliar environments? That's such an important question. And also just to add on, on your anecdote, you know, I know this other poet, Bruce Haynes, um, and when he speaks, normally he's got the, like, both a stutter, you know, a stutter, a stutter, a stutter and a stammer, which is more the vowel, a, 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 a ammer, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and he's constantly, like, like speaking stutters and stammers. But as soon as, as soon as he gets on stage and performs his poems, that stutter and the stammer completely disappears. There's like something completely transformative in the way that art can hold and protect people. And so I think that we really, uh, you know, to be catching these children younger than 12 years old, I think us as artists and also us as parents to artists, us as family members to artists really need to like believe in the transformative power and forefront art as not just a hobby, but something that is possible to shift and change people intrinsically. And mm. so, so we really need to be implementing and, and, and putting it into our societal culture from the get-go, when already you uh, are in the, the pregnancy ward and you're giving birth uh, to a child. There should be poetry playing in the speakers, you know, along with music. Like, how do we now begin to really create a culture of intrinsically connected to the way in which we live? Because in that way, I mean, even for me, when I started writing, it was because I heard another poet perform um, from, like, high, like, a high school student was a head boy, came and was trying to convince us primary school students to come to their school and was by hearing him perform, I was like, what is this thing? And I rushed home and I wrote my first poem. And then when I brought it back the next day and I told my English teacher, she asked me to perform it. And so how do we now create moments like that where there's always somebody who's, who's going to inspire you through poetry, but also there's going to be somebody who's going to encourage you to do it, to perform it. So I think we need to work on that kind of multifaceted level through inspiration, and then also encouragement. Okay, I'm telling you now so that you prepare in your head as we engage the balance of this conversation that I'm going to ask you to recite the poem you wrote as a 12-year-old, and I know you know that poem because it is one that you've made on your own reference to and the one that won you your latest award, the 2022 World Slam Poetry Competition. And, of course, you're going to give us the zest and the passion and even offer an explanation as to the environment around which you would have composed those mm. pieces of art. But let us engage the value of language, the value of culture, because, for instance, if mm. you look at the Constitution, the Constitution as an emblem of justice under a tree, and what mm. that is essentially is about is the village community gathering under a tree to discuss the transgression against the values of that society, either by a class of people or an individual, in an open and transparent mm. manner. If that be a metaphor, and how oral history in South Africa, particularly among the African peoples, has been transferred from generation to the nest, it's being under a tree or under the cover of darkness of the skies and the stars around a campfire. To that extent, then, using these two metaphors of developing language, of developing a relationship between people and the spoken word, what in this modern society that is flooded with technology, 
technology through interface that does not require one to speak but simply to look at and use fingers. How do we mm-hmm. maintain the, that core identifier to keep the spoken mm. word alive and valuable? Mm. What would you propose mm. be some of the solutions we could look mm. to engage? More especially in unearthing knowledge that lies trapped in language. Mm. Mm. You know, you're touching on such, such an important question. And this is like really a question that like exists at the core of my work as well. So as you're asking it, I know we don't have that much time, but this is the kind of question where I could speak on it for hours. But one of the like really important things for me, first, very... Uh, deeply and intensely with new technology and these extended realities, the augmented realities, virtual realities. And one of the, the, the works I was commissioned to do last year that exhibited in the center of Paris on the Trinity Stars Church was around a projection mapping installation. So projection mapping is really uh, uh, projecting 3D artwork onto a building, you know? And so... What I did with that work was create a work called Course Course that was exploring all the hidden knowledge we have in Insomi, in our grandmother's stories, the first time we would sit around the fire. And I was really asking the question of what does the new digital fire look like and what are the new stories that we tell? Because honestly, the stories that we mm. tell, are, when stitched together, the stories we have make up our identity. And it is through bearing witness to each other's stories that we begin to develop empathy. And it is in empathy that the revolution lies. And so now the ancient knowledge hidden within language really allows us to tap into the new revolution. And when we're talking revolution, I think we're talking change. I think we're talking the way in which we envision the world. And I think that's where story even like begins to do its most pivotal work in imagination. Because Before anything can exist, before you can see a building or before you can see a car around you, first you need to be able to imagine it. And it is through imagination which we shift and form our reality. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just touching on some of the thoughts and response I have to that question. But there are just so many ways to respond to that question. Okay, I don't know if you had already gotten into the atmosphere, umfuto, of your poem, so I'm going to give you an opportunity now, Klaviso. Go straight into it. Offers a rendition of the poem as a 12-year-old boy and the 31-year-old man now at the World Slam Poetry Competition. Two recitals of poetry from award-winning performer, writer, new media artist, producer, digital strategist, and social activist, Mr. Klaviso Vili. Here he is. Thank you. Thank you so much. As I look into this mirror, I see a stranger with his dark African hair. Hate is in the atmosphere. That was me when I was 12 years old. Now I'm 31, and I know that we have come to place forget how to die. My kind lose sight of life even before they go blind. So we have come to take back their eyes, suck the cocoa butter from their skin so they can grow wrinkled, teach my people how to grow old. Dear God, let 
my people go. Put the ocean back together again. We will walk on water instead. Give that boy back his breath. His mother has been crying for three days. Jesus is not the only one that deserves resurrections. We have been in line for a miracle. Dear death, are you still cashing out saviors? Or does your second coming look like Red Sea Ritz, like tipping chairs, like we have telescopes for chests? Look through the exit wound and you will see all that you owe us. It must be hard to remember your debts from up there. Our Father, who art in heaven, also doesn't answer calls from debt collectors, can't clean up his mess. Let a serpent coiled inside our breasts. Now my kind claw as they are fresh, save themselves. I have been drunk for so long because the wakes never end. The roads to the cemetery are packed from one side to the next. I will turn this procession into prayer beads from our ribs. Our dentures will be these gravestones with the Ten Commandments that I will carve into teeth. Bury our tongues, sit deep. So when they rise, resurrection is the only language they will speak. We have come to this place to forget how to die. My kind was tired of holding onto these pictures for safekeeping, turning photo albums into scripture. These memories give us paper cuts on the inside of our thighs, between our arms, those places that are easy to hide until they aren't. We have turned ourselves into frayed fabrics of forgotten photographs, tools that our wrists trying to hide the scars, unraveled at the seams and picked up themes of our demise. And the psychiatrists are stuck to breathe at the thought of suicide. My kind have nooses for blood and bullets for eyes, eyes in their throats that show when they smile, born with filth. They soon close their eyes and learn how to fly. I'm tired. Take the breath, my breath. But from here, I will take all the strength I have left. I'm ready to wrestle. Bring your God. Bring your death. And if I lose, don't you dare lay me to rest, because my spirit is pissed, and he's fighting next. That's what got you, and that's what got him, the 2022 World Slam Poetry Competition, beating slam poets from 40 nations across the globe. I've got literally two minutes. I'm going to ask for your indulgence. Summarize what message you were trying to bring across. Summarize the state of mind you were in when you composed this and what you want the audience or hope in this instance the audience who were listening to you would have interpreted you to have effectively said. Yeah, I think as a queer, black, closer man, I think we really exist in the intersection of many people like me dying. Queer people, black people, women, stay, stay dying out here in this world and stay being killed, you know? And so this poem was really uh, uh, an exhale, an exclamation of we are tired. We're tired of dying and we will no longer die. We've come to this place to forget how to die and we will carry on living. And if I need to be the one who must fight God and fight death and fight the people who are taking lives, then I will be that one. 
who 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 has, uh, allows people of my kind to stop uh, to stop dying in these many many ways that the world takes our breath away. Fantastic stuff. We certainly wish you all the world's stages to be quite literally under your feet so that you can spread the word and the goodwill of the spoken word to all who have ears to hear. Abiso Vili, thank you so much for for your time, my brother. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You know less. After the break, final conversation.